went up to Oklahoma, and it was a 12-hour drive, and it took a while to get there. And, and um, you know, I, I went uh, with God's speed, amen, uh, and uh, not, you know, the cops didn't, you know, catch me or anything like that. So I was able to get there in good time. I was able to get there on time, and we saw the Lord really, really move uh, in the lives of the people there. It's such a tiny little community and uh, it's funny because they think I come from like a mega church, you know. This is like a mega church to them. And, and, our, and our cities are like, you know, metropolises. You know, the city that the camp was in is 1,500 people. And I was surprised because I saw Burger King and it wasn't even open yet. You know, <laughs> like I, I thought I was like, oh, man, they're going to have a Burger King in this town. And unfortunately, the Burger King wasn't even finished being built yet. So went to this tiny little town. We saw the Lord really touch and bless the lives of those people. So thank you for letting me be obedient to the Lord. Amen. And, and, and go over there and minister to those people. But I was speaking to them a message called um, Redigging the Wells of Revival. And it just, uh, again, you know, with the theme that we've been speaking of uh, about revival the last several weeks. I want to get into this word tonight because we finished off uh, two weeks ago when I when I had finished, we finished off and we prayed uh, into this quote that I, you know, had read. And that was this, the depth of our repentance will determine the depth of our revival. You know, the Lord wants to move. Amen. Amen. I said, God wants to move. The, Lord, the Lord's like hungry. He's, he's, he's desiring to move. But guess what? We're the ones, we're the ones oftentimes that get sidetracked, get, you know, we fall into sin, we fall away from the things that God has commanded us to do. And there was a scripture that I had shared with them over there, and I'll touch on it just for a second. It's in Genesis chapter 26 and verse, I believe it's verse 18, but it talks about how the Philistines had stopped up the well. There was something that happened that stopped up the flow and the presence of God's goodness and glory in their lives. Stopped up the very source of life that they had been tapping into for so many years. And this is what sin does. This is what, you know, living outside of a relationship with Jesus does. Amen? All of a sudden, you begin to live life your own way. You begin to do things how you want to do them. You begin to live in a manner that you think is okay. You begin to listen to all kinds of crazy, wacky doctrine because, you know, you watch preachers on the Internet and all this kind of stuff. And the next thing you know, you find yourself outside of God's glory. I remember saying it a few weeks ago, and I said this, you know, the, those that, that, that need revival are those that are dead in religion. You don't give CPR to a person that's alive. You give CPR to the one that's dying. Amen? You run to that person that, that, is, that is blue in the face, that's ashing, that's, that's literally, you know, we, we have a saying in the church, we say that they're dying on the vine. You know, you know, when we say that, what we mean is we mean that they're inside the church, but yet they're still dead in their hearts. They're not alive in Jesus. They're not on fire for God. There's no, there's no you know, zeal to their walk with God. There's no obedience. There's no you know, wonder and mystery. There's no signs and wonders and miracles because guess what? They're just in, they're close to the vine, but they're not on the vine. You see, Jesus said, if you remain in me and I will remain in you, he said, you will bear much fruit. You can't actually die on the vine, but there's things in your life that can be dead. 
that the Lord needs to revive. Amen? There's things in our hearts and in our lives that can be dead. They can be areas of our life that sometimes we don't pay attention to. How many of you, when you clean your house, have that room that you just kind of don't touch all the time? You know exactly what I'm talking about. The living room looks real nice because that's where everybody sees. And the kitchen might look pretty good because that's, you know, where everybody eats, right? But then you got that closet. Amen? You got that junk drawer. I got a junk drawer that I think everything in the world is in that drawer. I found, like, seeds. I found, like, matches. I found tools, I found, you know, you know, glue, you know. I mean, it's like if I can't find something, it's probably in that drawer. It's probably hidden in that little drawer somewhere because it's like where everything ends up. And you find yourself sometimes ignoring areas in your home. We might be able to get away with that because there's people that will come over to your house and they'll never see that closet. And they'll never see that drawer. But the Bible says that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, because the Lord resides in our heart, then guess what? He has access to every room. And if the Lord should walk into an area in your heart and in your life that all of a sudden he finds that's a mess, he finds an area in your life that's, that's in need of much attention and care. Then guess what? Give him access to revive that area in your life. Amen? How many of you need revival in, in your life? Amen? Amen? And so the depth of our repentance will determine the depth of your revival. The levels that you're willing to go to say, Father, change every area of my heart. Not just a piece of me, not just a part that people see, not just a part, God, that, that, you know, is known to others, but change every area of my life that's known to you. Because while people may not be there in those dark moments in your life where you fall into temptation or you fall into sin, God is always there. And there's nothing that happens in your life outside of God's sight. And so when we say, Lord, change me, mold me, God, revive me, we're giving him access to every area of our life. You see, I want more of the glory of God. And when I say that and I pray that and that becomes my desire, that means that I have to become less. I have to become less because we can't compete with one another. Amen? We can't compete with one another. I can't say, oh, I want God, and I want God's glory, and I want God's revival and his power and his fire, and still be full of myself. It doesn't work that way. Jesus didn't say, the full will be filled. Matthew 5 and 6, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And when you're hungry for the Lord, you have an appetite for nothing else. When you're hungry for Jesus, all of a sudden, everything else doesn't matter. Everything else just falls by the wayside. You're not concerned with the job as much. You're not concerned with, with you know, the, the family drama as much. You're not concerned with your favorite sports team as much. You're not concerned with your hobbies and your goals and the things that you want to do in your life. Because guess what? When you're hungry for him, you have an appetite for nothing else. Amen. We sing it right now. Only he satisfies. 
Only he satisfies. Joel chapter 3 verse 18 says this. In that day the mountains will drip new wine. And the hills will flow with milk in the ravines of Judah. That word Judah means praise and thanksgiving. Listen to this. And the ravines of praise and thanksgiving will run with water. And the fountain will flow out of the Lord's house. And will water the valley of Ecclesiastes. Think about this just for a second. That valley of, of Ecclesiastes, it was a dry land. It was a dry land. It was a barren land. It was sterile. In fact, it was the area that the Israelites camped before crossing the Jordan into the promised land. And so what is the scripture saying? It's saying that though the ravines of Judah, that is the, the ravines, the, the mountains of praise, they will run with water. And a fountain will flow from the Lord's house and it will water that valley of dry land. It will water that, that valley of barrenness. It will water that valley of sterility in your life. Think about that. Think about where this actually was taking place. Think about where it was, you know, it, it, ge geographically to the promised land. It was right outside of the promise. Do you know, church, that when you worship, you are right outside of the promise. That when you worship, all of a sudden it gives you access to the promises of God. This is so important for us to understand. Because a lot of times we find ourselves in a valley. And we find ourselves in this valley of Ecclesiastes where we're dry and we're barren and we're hurting. And we say, Father, I need your rain, God. I need your spirit to pour out upon my life, God. I need your power to move in my life. And guess what? You're just so close to the blessing. You're camped right outside of it. You can see it. How many of you have ever been that close to the blessing before? You know it's there. It's right there. It's, it's within sight. But yet somehow, someway, there's something that's stopping you from crossing over. Do you know that the Israelites took a took a, a, a 40 years for a three and a half week journey? It took them 40 years. The distance that they needed to travel should have taken them three and a half weeks. That's like if Pastor Duke came back, you know, from Oklahoma 20 years from now. <laughs> it's like, man, he took a while. You know, I come back all the heel, you know, like, hey, you know. You know, I mean, no, man. I mean, they, 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 they stayed in their sterility. You want to know why? Because they complained. They were bitter and they were upset and they were mad because they could see the promise, but yet they couldn't have it. They knew it was within reach, church, but yet they could not grasp it because they kept complaining. They kept angry. They kept bitter. And I'm here to remind somebody that though we've had seen the passing rains of revival, though you've seen a glimmer of hope, though we've had moments where the Spirit of God is moving in our midst, we're just camping on the banks of the Jordan. But when you empty yourself... And when you throw off everything that hinders your life and we say less of me and more of you, God, as our appetite for righteousness stirs up, as our hunger for God begins to elevate, then guess, guess what? You will no longer be camping next to the promised land because you're going to cross over in Jesus' name. You're not going to stay outside of the promise of God forever. I want a church that... the. 
when we pray and we desire and we see the Lord move, you know? Like how many of you have seen the Lord move? I mean, Sunday was powerful. It was so beautiful. It was, it was phenomenal. It was, it was a powerful, powerful time. And when we see God move, there's sometimes it makes you wonder because you may come into the house on a, on, on a Wednesday night and you say, where's the Lord? Man, on Sunday it was like, oh, man, it was like a river. You know, and on Wednesday, what happened to the river? What happened to your praise? You see, the level in which you can dance in the reins of God's glory has everything to do with the expectation and faith that you place upon the Lord. You see, sometimes we're conditioned to think that, you know, God only moves on a Sunday morning. And sometimes we're conditioned to think that, oh, man, God is, is only, you know, moving on a Sunday morning because that's when everybody gets together. God can move whenever he wants. And God can move in your life 24-7 if you would just lift up your hands and glory in his name and thank him and say, Father, fill me with your glory. He will move at any moment, church, and in any time. I believe the Lord wants to see, you know, the, the, I believe, rather, I want to see the activity of the Holy Spirit begin to take over. I don't want to just see little, little drops here and there. I don't want to just see little, little glimpses of, of the rain. I want to see a downpour. Amen? How many of you, you know, were thankful for the rain that we received today? Amen? It's a blessing, and we need to thank God for every little, every little you know, drop of heaven that, that he gives us. But it's those places that are dry and arid that don't even thank him for the little drop, for the one drop. You know, the more that we are thankful, the more he's going to pour out. The more you're grateful, the more there's going to be an outpour of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Lord is moving us from guarding the flame to spreading the fire. The Lord is moving us from guarding the flame and just being about ourselves. I thank God that we love Jesus. Amen? I thank God that you love Jesus. I thank God that, that you desire him. But guess what? He desires you to work for him. He desires that we get busy for him. Amen. He desires that we tell somebody about him. He desires that we become a witness of his glory. Amen. Amen. Prince, Prince alluded to that story about the 10 lepers on Sunday. And it was so powerful what he said because out of the 10 lepers that were healed, only one came back to thank him. And there's so many people that taste of the goodness and the glory of God. They come into the house of God seeking a miracle and they get that miracle. But guess what? They get going as well. I'll never forget, you know, a young man that we prayed for several, several years ago. Stage four cancer. I mean, leukemia, you know, he was on his deathbed. God revived him. Completely turned it around. And I remember, you know, that family was with us for, you know, a number of years. And, 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 and you know, prior to that, they were with us. But when the blessing came, the blessing went. They got what they wanted from God and then they moved on. I can imagine that, you know, the heart of God is pained any time we take that which he gives us, that which he is able to do, that which he doesn't have to do. But because he loves us, he'll pour out that blessing upon our life.
I believe it pains the heart of God when we just simply take it and say, thank you, and go about our business. It's time for us, church, to release this wildfire of what God is doing in our hearts. I remember pastor, he said it like this one time. He said, you know, we're spiritual gluttons. In other words, we're okay. We're getting stuffed with the glory of God. We're, we're eating and drinking from the, from the goodness of the Lord and the table of God. But, but yet, what are we doing with it? What are we doing with it? You know, church, every single chair in this, this house could be filled in like two days if we started telling people about Jesus. Did you know that? And it's not about filling a chair. We, we understand this, amen? But it is about filling the kingdom of heaven. I want to be able to stand before the Lord one day and, and place that crown that he has given me, that crown of righteousness, and place it at his feet as an offering to say, Lord, look what I was able to do, Lord. With the time, Lord, with the salvation, Lord, with, with the gifts, Lord, with the things that you gave me, Father, look how many people I was able to tell about you. That's what I want to be able to do, Amen. That's what I want to be able to do with this glory that God gives to you and to me. And so I want to remind you tonight that the Lord will fill the hungry. How many of you are hungry for him? Amen? 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 All right. There's seven of us. The rest of you are just looking at me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. God fills the hungry, but those who simply spectate will always be outside of God's glory. Those who spectate, those who are just onlookers, they'll always be outside of God's glory. They will be like the crowds that surrounded Jesus every single day. You know, there was thousands of people around him every day. But there was only 12 that were willing to sit at his feet. See, there was thousands of people that wanted a touch of the glory of God, that wanted a miracle, that wanted a healing. But guess what? There was only a few that were able to receive that touch in that moment. And so they will be like the crowds that surrounded him, but they won't ever be privileged enough to touch his garment. They won't know the power of his glory, but through the testimonies of another. See, how sad would that be to be in the midst of, of an almighty living God and never touch him for yourself. Never feel the presence of his glory. Never feel that power of his glory in your life. And those spectators, they will be outside of that power and they will only have to live this walk with Jesus on the testimonies of what somebody else, what God did in the life of somebody else. And it's until they move forward towards God's, good, God's goodness and empty themselves. And it's until they will die to themselves daily that they will see the goodness of God. You see, this once saved, always saved thing doesn't work. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> I, I might be changing somebody's theology right now. I'm going to say it again. This once saved, always saved thing doesn't work. Every single day I have to deny myself and take up my cross and follow him. That's what the scripture says. During our time in Oklahoma, we were up there and it was so powerful because uh, uh, they hadn't actually seen rain until the last time we were there in September. That is crazy. And I am not even professing to be anywhere near Elijah's level. 
But all I know is that when I went last time, it rained. And it had not rained until we pulled into town. And every day for the three days that we were there, we began to drive towards the camp. And the camp was about 40 miles from our hotel. And so it was a decent little drive that we had to go. And every single day that we drove towards that camp, it would rain until Thursday evening. It actually began to rain at the camp itself. And I want the guys in the back. Can they show that picture uh, tonight? So this is the camp where we were. And this is what the Lord began to display that evening, Thursday night before we left. And it was such a powerful picture to me because how many of you know what this means? This is the promises of God over our life. Amen. This is the promise that he, would, that he would pour out his blessings upon your life. This is the promise that he would never flood the earth again. This is the promises of God. And it was so awesome because every single night that we were there, we saw the Lord begin to do more and more and more. And as the people hungered, as the people thirsted, as the people desired, it actually physically began to rain upon their land. Isaiah 44 and verse 3 says this, I will pour out water on the thirsty land. It says, in streams on the dry ground, he says, and I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. See, his promise, church, is to rain upon thirsty land. That's what the word is saying. His promise is that he will reign upon thirsty land, but we must never forget that thirsty land can do nothing about its drought. Thirsty land can do nothing about its dryness except receive the rain when it falls. Except receive the rain when it falls. So salvation, church, isn't something that you strive for. It is a gift that you receive. Salvation isn't something that you earn through good works and, and singing songs and clapping your hands and coming to church. It's not even something that, you know, your good works will get you any kind of merit or grace from God in. It's something that you receive. That is, the land itself cannot stretch high enough into the heavens to find rain. It must only receive that which is poured over it. But the heart, listen to me carefully, the heart of the land can thirst and it can desire rain. I want us to think about this for a second. Don't you remember that you two were like the valley of Ecclesia? You were once dry and you were dead and you were desolate. You see, the heart of your life was once completely far away from God. There was a time in every one of our lives where we were far away from God. We had not, you know, had that taste of the spirit. We had not seen the goodness of God. We didn't know exactly what this love was. We just heard about a God. We just heard about Jesus. We had just heard about the word. We had just attended a service. And we were like those dry, desolate valleys that had nothing in our life. Jeremiah 17 and verse 5 says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. It says that person will be like a bush in the wasteland and they will not see prosperity when it comes. He goes on to say this, they will dwell in the parched places of the desert. How many of you want to live in a desert? Amen. It's not a fun place to be. 
It's not like a, a place that anybody would desire to go. First of all, I don't like sand, okay? You know, second of all, it, it, when, it's, when it's super hot, like, like it's just like, ugh. I think that's why hell is, is, is a place of fire and gnashing of teeth because it's going to be the most miserable place anybody could ever go. And I actually don't say that lightly because it's going to be a place of torment. Amen? It's going to be a place of torment. And so here it's talking about this. It's saying this. The person that trusts in themselves, the person that, that relies on their own flesh, they'll be like a bush in the wasteland and they will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in parched places of the desert. That's not even in, next to an oasis. That's in the place where the oasis doesn't exist. It says, in a salt land where no one lives. Verse 7, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord and whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes because its leaves are always green. And it has no worries in a year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit. How many of you trust in the Lord tonight? Amen. How many of you have your confidence in Jesus? Amen. Jeremiah 24 and verse 6 says, My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up, and I will not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me that I am Lord. He will give you everything that you need. He says, they will be my people and I will be their God for they will return to me with all of their heart. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 24 says, I will take you out of the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and I will bring you back into your own land. He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. He said, I will remove you, from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land you, that I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. See, the Lord longs to pour out on the thirsty. But the question is, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for him? Are you desiring him? You see, the Lord wants to transform you, but are you moldable? <laughs> There's some people that are resisting getting on the potter's wheel because they're like, no, 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 God. You're not going to change my life. I was raised this way. I was taught this way. These things that, that, that I am, it's because, it's because that's who we've always been. God wants complete access to your life, amen? He wants to transform you, but are you moldable? The Lord wants to work, but are you willing to lift a finger? You know, one of the most like, depressing days for me sometimes in ministry it's when I call people, I'm like, hey, you know what? We need some volunteers to, you know, move 100 chairs or whatever. And there's like me and DJ. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, thanks to the other 300 of you that say you love Jesus and attend our church. Be a lot easier if, you know, everybody pitched in, you know. But, but my back is uh, doing just fine. Maybe that's why the Lord gave me the name Bacchus. Amen. That was a horrible joke. He wants to move, but are you willing to lift a finger? He wants to speak, but are you going to let his spirit flow from your mouth? 
Are you going to let him do what he wants to do in your life? See, I don't want to be a church that simply camps next to the promise. I want to be living in it. I don't want this to be a place where it's like, you know what? We were so close. We were so close. I could see it. You know, I could, I could, I could, I could hear the people over there having fun. But I never stepped in the glory. I never stepped in the blessing myself. You see, everything that his word says, church, is this, is I want to be in the midst of his glory. I want to be in the midst of everything that he says he is able to give us. But guess what, church? It's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you yourself. It's going to cost you every bit of you. I quoted this earlier, but Matthew 16 and 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, you finally begin to live in God when you're dead to yourself. I'll say that one more time. You finally begin to live in Christ when you are dead to yourself. But do you want to know why it's such a painful process for some people, you know, to surrender to Jesus and to conquer the flesh and all these things? The truth is, is it's simply because they're still alive. You see, this thing gets really difficult and it gets really challenging and it gets really tough because there's areas of your life that are still alive. They haven't fully died and every day that flesh is at war with God, is at war with the Spirit of God. It cannot understand the things of the Spirit because guess what? It's still alive. It's still alive. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, it says this, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It says when Christ appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Did you know, church, that nothing hurts when you're dead? Makes sense, right? You know, can't really hurt, you know, a person that's is dead. You know, I'm not making fun of the dead. It's just the truth. Christ is alive in you. You see, when you're dead, he's alive. When you're alive, he's. When you're alive, when you're in control, when you're living the way you want to live, where is he? This glory is our blessed hope, church. At the end of that verse, it says, when he appears, you will also appear with him in glory. That is the blessed hope of the church. That is the one day final promise that we will inherit that glorious kingdom of heaven. You see, but the glory of God wants to live within you now, church. Amen? Amen. I said it over there, and I said this, you know, heaven is not just a destination that we arrive at. It's not just a place that you're eventually going to get to. The Lord wants to pour out his glory into your heart and into your life now. Amen. But the glory only inhabits the dead. It only reigns in desolate places. It will only reign in desolate dry land. A.W. Tozer said this, the glory of God always comes at the sacrifice of self. The glory of God always comes at the sacrifice of oneself. John Piper said this, If you don't feel the strong desires for the manifestation of God's glory, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. <laughs> if there's no hunger in your life, it's not because you've already tasted. 
It's not because, oh, you're, you're filled to the brim. No, it's the exact opposite. The thirsty will always get the rain. The thirsty will always get the rain. The hungry will always get fed in the presence of God. How many of you are hungry for more of the Lord? Amen. Amen. I'm not convinced that we all are. <laughs> I'm not convinced that we all are. But the truth is this, is if you're not hungry for God, then you're probably full of yourself. Amen. Amen. I was so blessed by my brother Prince on Sunday. Amen. How many of you were blessed? Amen. Amen. I love that man. And I pray that he's watching this right now because he's like the most humble guy ever. He's like, I don't know, like six foot one. And, and he's, every time I hug the guy, he's like this tall. Like he just, and I'm like, man, you don't have to bow down to me, you know, you know, but he's just, he's just that way. The humility of God in his life is, is tremendous. The Lord is, works in his life in such a, such a powerful, powerful, powerful way. But I will make no apologies, church. For wanting and desiring and seeing the Spirit of God move in a powerful way like it did on Sunday. Amen. You know, some people get bothered by that because they say, you know what? It's getting late. You know, I don't know. I got, I got things to do. Football season's about to roll around and I'm guaranteed there's going to be a lot of people leaving at 12 o'clock. So be it. So be it. So be it. But listen. There's going to be somebody that's still here that's hungry and thirsty and desiring to see a move of Jesus. Amen. And I pray that's you and I pray that that's me. Amen. Some people think about the time, but listen, I think about eternity. Some people think about agendas, but I think about his will being done. Amen. So it's time for you and I, church, to thirst for the glory of God in a greater measure. Once again, if you want to see God's reign pour upon your life. Smith Wigglesworth, he said this. What a name, amen. Imagine being named Smith Wigglesworth. <laughs> I think God uses guys with like amazing names like Duke Backus, amen. All right, no, I'm just kidding. But I am the only Duke Backus here that you will find, amen. If, if somebody says, hey, do you know Duke? Yeah, that's probably me. Smith Wigglesworth said this. To hunger and thirst after righteousness is when nothing in the world can fascinate us so much as being near to God. To hunger and thirst after righteousness is when nothing in the world, nothing, not our jobs, not our careers, not families and relationships, when nothing in the world can fascinate us so much as being near to God. There's a lot of places in the world that I would love to see one day, but I would love to see God even more. There's a lot of things that I would desire to achieve and acquire in this life. But guess what? I want to acquire him all the more. There's a lot of, you know, things that, you know, we all, you know, desire in, in our life, you know. And the Bible says that he'll grant us the desires of our heart. Amen. But I pray that nothing in your heart, nothing in your life is desiring more than to know him. All the things that we could ever want in this world. You know, when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, you know, I, I wanted to get married because, you know what, I had, a, I had a hot girlfriend at the time and I still have a hot wife today. But I remember I was 20 years old and I'm thinking like, man, I can't wait to get married. It's going to be the best thing ever. This is awesome. I'm, I'm waiting for the day. And you know what, I always thought Jesus was going to show up before I got married. 
I was like, you know what, it's probably going to be me. You know, I'll be waiting forever. The desire of my heart's never going to get fulfilled. And, you know, all these things. And guess what? You know, I prayed and I knew. And guess what? The Lord gave me the privilege to be married. The Lord gave me the opportunity to, 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 to have this thing that I had desired. And, you know, God is so good, church. He's so, he's so amazing in the way that he works. Because you know that he doesn't have to allow us to have certain things. He could just be a lawmaker and be like, you know what? You got to follow the commands and you got to be obedient. You got to do all these things. You got to stand up when I say stand. You got to sit when I say sit. But he's not that way. He grants us the desires of our heart. Can I share a story with you? I remember a few years ago when my dad was, was in 2018, he was still battling cancer. And, and I had been blessed by a friend to, to go see a Packers game in Green Bay and in, in Wisconsin. And, you know, it sounds so dumb and insignificant. And trust me, don't, don't let me lose you right now. It had nothing to do with football. But the truth is, is it was something that I like to do. And there's things that you love to do. Amen. I don't know what it is for you, but there's things that you love to do. And I remember I felt so guilty because I was like, man, you know what? I really want my dad to go. I don't want to go unless he gets to go. I only had tickets for Mandy and I, and I remember I honestly was convicted, and I was just thinking about selling the tickets and being like, you know what? No big deal, man. I mean, it's just a game. I could go any year. And I'll never forget, I'm on Twitter at like 1 in the morning. Those of you that know me, sometimes that's what I do. <laughs> and I see one of the coaches from the Green Bay Packers post a proverb. I believe it was Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And I remember seeing him post this verse and I just responded because I was like, hey, that's cool. You know, he posted a, a verse from the Bible, and I said, hey, awesome. You know, that great verse, you know, you know, God bless you, and I don't know what I said. Next thing we know, we strike up a conversation. And I asked him about a submission that I had made because every year the, the NFL does this thing where they have, you know, they do cancer awareness and things like that. And, and I remember at that time, you know, my dad was battling, and I, and I sent like an email to the to the organization asking, hey, is there anything, you know, you guys can do, you know, my dad loves you guys, and, and you know, he's battling cancer at this moment. And I asked the coach, I said, hey, you know, I, I submitted this email. I don't know if you can talk to somebody. Maybe you know somebody. You're a coach there, you know. And you pull a string, you know, see if uh, anybody can follow up on this request that I made. And he's like, okay, yeah, you know, sure, you know, I like to do that. And he goes, by any chance, are you going to be going to a game this year? And I said, yeah, actually, I am. He goes, really, what game? And I said, well, it's in December, blah, blah, blah. And I explained all the details, and I told him, I said, you know, uh, man, it would be awesome. You know, one thing I, I wanted, and I asked him for prayer for my dad, and I, you know, because he knew about this situation. I said, listen, you know, I know this, you know, sounds crazy, but, you know, just keep my dad in your prayers. And, and I asked him, you know, something to the effect of, of you know, it would be awesome if he could go to the game with me. And he says, I got you. I'm like, what? He goes, give me his license and his information, and, and I'll take care of his tickets. I need his driver's license. I'll take care of his flights. Are you kidding me? 1.30 in the morning on Twitter? And I'm going like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. 
And then I remembered his wife was this caretaker, and I said, oh, man, he can't go anywhere without her. So I said, listen, if you could get another game ticket, then I'll pay for the flights and whatever else I need to pay for. Don't worry about it. I got her too. I know it sounds insignificant, but that's the kind of God that I serve. He saw a desire. And he chooses to bless this church in so many ways that we have never earned. I could have never earned that blessing. I wasn't good enough. I didn't pray enough. But he saw something in my heart. He knew that I earnestly wanted this. And he says, son, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to bless you because I love you. In his glory, church, we don't deserve to be in the middle of it. But if we're hungry and we desire him, he will pass by. He will reign upon your life. He will do things in your life, church, that you could have never imagined. He will speak things into your heart. He will show you visions and dreams. He will use you for his glory and for his purposes. Because this is the kind of God that I know. This is the kind of God that I serve. Psalm 63 says, you, God, are my God. And I earnestly seek you. He says, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. It says, in a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary, and I have beheld your power and your glory. He says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. How many of you know the love of Jesus? Amen. He says, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands, and I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. He says, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. He said, and on my bed I remember you, and I think of you through the watches of night, because you are my help, he says, and I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you for your right hand upholds me. Psalm 42 verse 1 says, as the deer... Pants for streams of water. He said, so my soul pants for you, my God. He said, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He says, when can I go and meet with God? When can I go and meet with God? See, that's what hunger looks like. That's what thirst looks like. When you're not thinking about anything else, all you're thinking about is getting to that place where you can meet with God. I would challenge you, church, to seek the Lord day and night. I would challenge you to begin to seek him in ways that you've never sought him before. Even if you are going through a dry and desolate season right now, I challenge you to seek the Lord like you've never done before. Because we are in an hour and we are in a time where we need to be seeking the Lord. Amen. We need to be pressing into the Lord. We need to be praying like we've never prayed before. But listen, I challenge you to pray. I challenge you to read the word. I challenge you to ask God to reveal himself in glory to your life. I challenge you to do these things. Because listen, when you encounter him, not if, 
When you encounter him, because listen, he is found by those who earnestly seek him. When you encounter him, the taste of his glory will leave you desiring more of him. It will never leave you just going like, oh, I don't want anything to do with God now. When you truly step into the presence of the glory of God, it will leave you with an appetite for more of him. You see, most people don't have hunger and thirst because they haven't encountered him in a mighty way. You see, there's people that have been in the church for years and they've, they've literally been around God, but they've never encountered him in a mighty way. Job chapter 9 talks about this. Job said, when he passes me, I cannot see him. When he goes by, I cannot perceive him. Oh, what an ugly place that would be. What an ugly moment that that would be to have God in the midst of your, of your presence, to have God in your home, in your church around you. But when he passes, you cannot see. When he goes by, you don't know he's even there. And I would encourage you to pray the prayer that Moses prayed when he said, show me your glory, God. Show me your glory. Maybe there's somebody listening tonight. Maybe you don't even desire an encounter with him. Well, guess what? He will encounter you. He will come after you. He will chase you down with his love. He will do everything that he can to get in your way. He will do everything that he can to, to get in your midst, to get near you, to get into that place where he is going towards you and near you. Because guess what? He wants to show you his glory and he wants to reveal himself to you. And even if you don't seek to encounter him, he wants to know you. Because the purposes of God is irrevocable. The purposes of God are irrevocable. I pray that you don't need to be blinded on a road called Damascus. You know, that's what happened with Paul. Paul thought he was living for Jesus. Paul thought he knew the Lord. Paul thought he was saved. And God encountered him one day. He arrested him on that road and he made him go blind. I hope you don't need to be swallowed by a great fish to finally surrender. You see, you could be like Jonah and you could be running away from the purpose of God. You could be running away from the call of God in your life. I want to remind you that the King of Glory did not hesitate in surrendering his life for you. Amen? He didn't avoid the cross for his own comfort and he didn't shy away from speaking the truth even though they had a bounty on his life. But he willingly laid his life down. And it's time, church, that we lay our lives down to him. Amen? I said it's time that we lay all of ourselves down to him. It's time to give up doing these things on our own. It's time to know him in glory. And if you desire to know him, church, then I want to open this altar tonight because I want you to come and find a place and I want you to begin to pray. If you truly desire to know God, listen, this is, this is a moment where, where you can come. And listen, if you don't want to come, that's okay. I, I, I'm not going to force you. But it was said this way. He said, we must thirst to the point to where visitation can become habitation. You see, how thirsty are you for God? 
How willing are you to wait on the Lord? How willing are you to say, God, I will tarry until I cross over into the promise. I will tarry, God, until your spirit is poured out on my life. I will wait on you, Jesus, until that which I have been waiting for is given to you.